everybody. Welcome to our Boots on the Ground recap of our inaugural week into the Toronto real estate's fall market. We've pinpointed five key takeaways from our first week into peak season, which certainly raised eyebrows, or perhaps were they somewhat anticipated? We kick off with a recent contraction in the GDP from this past August, paired with the Bank of Canada's unexpected decision to hold interest rates steady on September 6th. The drama doesn't stop there. We'll walk you through a heated bidding war for a studio apartment and the fervor surrounding multiple offers for an East End townhouse. It's undeniable there are buyers out there. On our trend spotting radar, we've detected a novel shift, adding seller letters directly on listings. Let's talk about what's driving this trend. And further on, we address the critical conversations around housing affordability, its intertwining with immigration, and the notable hike in the municipal land transfer tax for luxury homes breaching the $3 million mark. Concluding our list, we'll shed light on the current state of property inventory, hinting at a shift towards a more balanced market where buyers might find homes that resonate with their actual preferences. Imagine that. I'm your host, Ian Busher, and I'm a broker with the FMT. Keeper number handy, this is Corey Marin, in-house hype girl and resident expert listing broker. And, of course, a good man to know, Mr. Ralph Fox, our analytical, investor-driven, macro picture watcher. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. There are a lot of great boots-on-the-ground insights to uncover in today's episode, so let's get started without further ado. Well, it is our inaugural week into the fall market 2023, and we would love for our viewership to have these five key takeaways of some surprises and some not so big surprises that we took away from the first week back. This is a very busy season generally in the Toronto real estate market. So this is where we're going to get a hint of things to come this fall. And I think some things might be interesting to those that are tuning in today. So we're going to start with something very exciting. We're going to talk about a contraction in the GDP and the BOC holding rates. I know it doesn't get more exciting than that in the first week back in Toronto real estate. And that's why everybody tunes in. But Ralph, this is so in your wheelhouse to discuss. So why don't you give our viewers a little nugget tidbit about what that means and how that might affect them as buyers or sellers in the Toronto market? As you pass this baton over to me, I could just imagine a viewer who follows our channel just being like, oh my God, they're going to talk about the Bank of Canada again, mm -hmm. and interest rates again. But that really is a huge influencer when it comes to the Toronto real estate market because uh, real estate, especially residential real estate, is so sensitive when it comes to interest rates. And so uh, in August, there was a lot of anticipation uh, as to what the market would look like, the fall market would look like, given that we had those two complete surprise uh, interest rate hikes in June and in July. And um, we had a lot of nervous buyers, a lot of nervous sellers, a lot of nervous people all around just trying to figure out in this environment of uncertainty what the fall is going to look like and what steps should they make as a result. And everybody was marking the date of September 6th on their calendar. And that was the date where the Bank of Canada would make their announcement as to whether they would be pausing or raising at that point in time. And there was a lot of uncertainty as to what they would do because they keep seeming to do things that surprise a lot of people. Um, and at the end of August, uh, a report came out by StatsCan. It was a very important report, which was the GDP report for the second quarter. And we had um, sorry, the Bank Ralph, of Canada. To, not to interrupt you, but can you explain what the GDP is? That acronym means and what it stands for. 
it means it stands for gross domestic product yep that uh, a country or nation uh, has over creates over a certain period of time and, and why it was is that an important metric because it gives you an understanding, a theoretical understanding of the health of an economy. Are we producing mm -hmm. or are we contracting? And everyone was expecting, I mean, the Bank of Canada projected 1.5% increase. Um, a lot of the consensus with economists was about a 1.2% increase. And it actually came out to surprise everyone that there was an actual contraction uh, down to 0.2% negative. So um, that was a real sign that um, when looking at the narrative of fiscal policy, meaning interest rates affecting the overall economy, it started to show that the intended effect was starting to take place. And actually, it was taking place in the middle of when they were raising rates in June and July. So I think that was enough to give the bank pause or reasons to pause, and that's exactly what happened. And that was really important because it gave a little bit of a semblance of stability uh, at a time where we've had a lot of instability, and it's showing that the intended consequences are just starting to take effect. And it very much looks like we could go into some type of a recession if we aren't already in one already uh, over the next few months. And so it's important because it means that most likely uh, you know, if you look at uh, reports that came out from CIBC and Bank of Montreal, they said that they think the Bank of Canada is done because we're going to see a continued weakening of the economy over the next uh, few months and over the next quarter. But time will tell. Fantastic. So just one point of clarity, when you mentioned the contraction in the GDP, you said it's uh, negative 0.2. You mean it went down by 0.2? Yeah, it wasn't up 1.5, what they were expecting. Okay. It actually contracted. 0.2%. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ralph. That's awesome. So Ian, in regards to the BOC announcement, did you have clients waiting for that September 6th date to make a decision about buying or selling this fall? You know what? I didn't. I know that it came as a relief to a lot of people, but I actually didn't have people waiting for it because a lot of my buyers were pre-approved and already have a pre-approval kind of rate hold. So I yes. think it was well, while it was welcome news, the people I'm already working with weren't impacted by it. I think people that were setting up to be buyers this fall, uh, it was giving them a bit more confidence and they're feeling more comfortable. Uh, in terms of sellers, we had some sellers with a little bit of a wait and see attitude as per our coaching and consulting. So we were like, let's just see what happens on September 6th. Let's talk that week. Let's see how the market performs in the first week or two, and then we can address when is the best time for you to go to market. Let's have other sellers test the market on your behalf first uh, so that we can get a good litmus test and good read as to what price point is selling, what strategy is working well, how much inventory is out there. Are you competing with a lot of people? And most people that were sort of waiting in the sidelines for that green light um, have all decided to proceed. So anyone we had in that holding pattern is now moving full-fledged forward uh, and I'm feeling really confident about it, uh, particularly where we have really set expectations on time on market and anything around pricing and strategy. And I don't think we have any sellers going to market right now within an inflated sense of what they're going to get on their home or condo. We're going in with really realistic expectations and really realistic timelines. So I feel really good about it now that that date is just behind us and we can move on. And uh, I think we're in a good, a good position. Okay, fantastic. Well, 
moving on to the second thing that we did not expect um, for our inaugural week in fall 2023 is uh, we actually had a heated bidding war on a studio apartment that Ralph and myself listed in August. Ralph, why don't you speak to that? Because it's a great story. Well, we had this cute as a button little studio. It was an investor client of ours. And, it was awesome, uh, by the way. It was awesome. If she's watching, we love you. You're <laughs> fantastic to deal with. And uh, we came out uh, early to mid-August, I guess. And we had it priced at probably what in my mind would be one of the least expensive opportunities to buy a condo in Toronto. We had it priced at four fifteen. And we held off on offers and lo and behold, we did not get any traction uh, and we were unable to sell it on offer date. And the property sat on the market. We had some activity, but not a ton. It was very and lukewarm. Then, and then we relisted it at 385 and uh, we had an offer uh, after about a week on the market, again, we were expecting it to fly because I think that literally was the least expensive condo. And what a great investment opportunity. You could get over $2,000 a month rent. And it took a while for it to sell. Even at that price, it was just quiet. Now, end of August typically is a quiet period. Um, but what happened was we sold it conditionally, conditional on financing. And uh, in the end, um, the financing did not go through. And in that last week or in the last few days prior to it firming up, theoretically, hopefully, uh, I took a bunch of calls from agents all of a sudden super excited about the property. And from the moment that we went back on the market, uh, we ended up in multiple offers and we went back and forth uh, till, till midnight uh, that day. It was a Friday. Um, and so it was really interesting because all of a sudden the market realized the value of this property and there were multiple par parties uh, aggressively trying to acquire it. Uh, and it's really interesting. And it, part of it is because I think in August it's slow and September things pick up. But I also think that there was a renowned sense of interest in properties or in the market uh, after uh, that bank rate announcement, because I think prior to it, uh, we couldn't even get people in the door. And all of a sudden, after that announcement, we had people lining up and fighting over it. So just really interesting, small anecdotal story. But I think it's just showing that there are still buyers out there um, and that um, I think once you have certainty in the market, like mm -hmm. what we saw last spring when there was a pause, people feel as buyers feel more comfortable moving forward uh, to acquire properties. Cor? And what's interesting about that as well is that the offers that were bidding against each other after the deal fell apart and we had these new interested parties, uh, they came in with clean offers, you know, air-free paperwork, professional agents. Like this yeah. was a real deal, old school bidding war with tight irrevocables and something and a pace and a velocity that we haven't seen in the condo side of the market for a while. So it was kind of fun to see that type of energy and competitiveness as well. And of course, we're super happy for the seller who, as we mentioned, is great to deal with. And Ian, one of your condos that you had listed that had sort of been sitting for a little bit as well also sold, correct? On the evening of the 6th, the actual day of the announcement. And uh, I didn't get confirmation from the buyer agent, but uh, we have to kind of believe that something about that announcement that morning 
uh, because this was their second time coming around. They had been there five days prior and the deal had fallen apart. But coming back on the day of that interest rate announcement, I can only assume that uh, there was some confidence in that buyer to say, okay, I really, I do want this place and I'm moving forward with it. Yeah, Jessica on our team actually won two multiple offer scenarios after September 6th. And um, she actually uh, won, her clients got both in both instances. And uh, one of them was uh, a freehold house and it actually saw five offers on it. Um, so we are seeing certain properties uh, starting to get a lot of activity in a way that we weren't seeing in August. Now, we're not talking about incredible record-breaking prices by any stretch of the means. Uh, and these are probably fair, realistic prices that all of these you know, four or five properties we're talking about here have sold for. But it shows that I think there's a bit of a renewed sense of confidence uh, with this pause that I think people are feeling more comfortable moving forward in a way that they weren't. And we saw that in the way the market was behaving in August and in July. And it's very reminiscent of last fall when we had a series of raises and the market was super sluggish. And then uh, January, Bank of Canada comes out and say they're going to pause. And the spring was guns blazing. And so I think really, if buyers have that confidence, um, I think it really imbues them with some confidence that they can move forward and offer on properties and, and be willing to compete for them, which exactly. is really, really interesting. Uh -huh. And again, this is something similar to the pause that we didn't think was necessarily going to happen in August uh, until we saw that GDP report. Um, I didn't think that we'd be seeing multiple offers uh, happening across all properties across the city. Um, and I found that really, really interesting, all very anecdotal and we're still very, very, very early into the fall. And I think there will be a lot more inventory coming to market. So some of this may dampen, but for now, um, it's been very interesting and surprising. Well, that's the whole point of this very podcast is just to yeah. give our inklings and anecdotes about the first week back. So we've got the contraction of the GDP. We've got the BOC announcement that's out of our way. We've had seen a little bit of activity on the buyer side, some bidding wars happening, which was unexpected. And now, Ian, tell us a little bit about something else that's new, and it's these seller letters that you're seeing attached to listings that's in possibly a new trend. Can you tell our viewership a little bit about that and what you saw on an East End property, just to share? Sure, absolutely. By way of definition, too, when we as realtors are looking at uh, MLS listings, there's usually attachments. So that might include any schedules that the seller wants included with an offer. Uh, a survey might be there, copy the inspection, floor plans. These are things we normally find there. I was looking at a listing earlier this week for a client and uh, it was one that just said other attachment, whatever it says. Clicked it, opened it up. It was a letter from the sellers describing how long they had lived there, the features of the house that they loved, the things that they were going to miss, um, the fact that they had had one of their kids there and uh, saw them off to school and these things, you know, they were always going to think favorably and they hated to give up the house, but for whatever reason had to. And I thought, isn't that really interesting? That is the kind of thing that uh, we, when we are acting for the buyer, will put together in a nice fashion and present with our offer in the hope of wooing the seller into working with us. And here is a seller given being given the opportunity to kind of explain their side of the story and their love affair with the house. And, um, they want a chance to speak to the buyers. So I think that's a, you know, that's an indicator that the market is not as strong as it was when it was all buyers putting 
letters into their offers. If a seller is trying to leave an impression with a buyer with something like this, that's a really interesting development. That's really interesting, and I think it's actually really smart. I'm gonna, I wonder if we're going to see seller letters attached to more listings as we move forward this fall and into winter, and I could definitely see ourselves using that tool because, as you and I both know, MLS itself is so limited as to how much of a story we can tell there, and it has a certain amount of characters you can use. You can only use a certain amount of description words. You have to select from a drop-down menu. And in fact, viewers, if you saw the back end of MLS, you'd think we were working in DOS back there. So that's actually a really smart strategy and possibly a new trend. And also love that, that it's anecdotal, very boots on the ground, something that we haven't seen before and possibly something we're going to see moving into the future. I, re I really like it. And I find the um, seller's when their property goes to market, they really want to have a chance, some do anyways, especially if they've been in the property or it's a home or a family home, to really get to express to a potential buyer their own feelings and, and their own experiences living in that house. And this is such a good way to allow a seller to do that and potentially a buyer to connect with a property in a way they might not have already done had they passed over it and not seen the letter. So I think it's a really interesting idea, and I think it's something that could take hold, especially if we start to see a lot more inventory come out and sellers are trying to make their property stand out over others. 100%. Okay. So we have covered three of our five insider boots on the ground tips about the inaugural week back into fall market. Rob, let's talk a little bit about your favorite topic, the liberal government's taking a little bit of a hit right now at the federal level. <laughs> Do you like that SmackDown? Yeah, that was good. That SmackDown was awesome. And I know this makes um, you personally a little bit happy and buzzed inside. So let's uh, bring I our know. viewers up to speed on all things federal and why that's important and how that might affect them uh, on the real estate side. So I'm going to leave my personal political feelings uh, aside here and just talk about what's happening. And it's really interesting because uh, in July, uh, Justin Trudeau came out in a press conference and said, well, we're the federal government. We don't have really that much carriage over uh, the housing market and what happens with housing prices. And obviously, there was a huge uproar because, of course, they do. They're the ones letting in the policies with all the immigration. They have control over the CMHC and OFC, and they have control over having a foreign buyer's ban. They're the ones that have a tax-free savings account for first-time buyers. So there's a lot that they are doing and can do and aren't doing that can affect the housing market here. And for him just to simply put his arms up in the air did not bear very well for him, especially as unaffordability continues to become a bigger and bigger issues in cities like Toronto and Vancouver. And what you really saw in August was really interesting as you saw a cabinet shuffle where all the cabinet ministers got shuffled. And interestingly enough, the immigration man, um, immigration uh, minister became the housing minister and the housing minister became the immigration minister. Yay. Not that the two are interrelated over anything, but definitely the temperature is starting to rise. And you saw this real interesting report that I'm a big fan of, Benjamin Tal, who's the head economist for CIBC. He came out and in an article in the Globe and Mail, he basically said that the Statistics Canada has underreported permanent residents living in Canada by over, conservatively, by a million people. 
means their counts are off by at least a million. And it had to do with some type of discrepancy in that the government isn't counting people who remain in the country after their visas expire. Uh, and so, you know, another just huge miss. And then eventually Statistics Canada came out and said, yeah, you're right, that actually is a problem. So you're seeing this narrative right now about immigration and how it's affecting housing. And while the liberal government continues to bring in more people, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when you have a country like Canada increasing its population by a million people in a year, that's over 2% in one year, we're going to need to have somewhere for these people to live, let alone what happens when you undercount them by a million people. So a lot of this is building up and you've got you know, Pierre Paul on the Conservatives, and you've got the NDP, and they're just hammering, 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 hammering the government right now, and the fact that they've actually done very little to solve this problem, and probably more to encourage it uh, if you take the long view. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, conservatives, uh, according to some polls, if there was an election today, would actually win a majority government. And I think the only way uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, his cabinet is going to walk this back is by really, really responding to this. And you're going to see a huge, huge, huge discussion and debate vis-a-vis -vis immigration, the economy, GDP, GDP per capita, and the housing all wrapped into one. And I think it's going to become a real issue. And I don't even think that that's a bad thing, regardless of the political outcome. We definitely need more solutions. And uh, it's really, really starting to blow up. And I think in September, you're going to see a lot more of this. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about, because it's really interesting, uh, part of Olivia Chow's um, campaign promise about the municipal land transfer uh, tax increase um, and how that affects the luxury properties. I believe it's $3 million and up. Yeah, I I don't have the scale in front of me, but it's for over three million. I think it's an additional three point five percent over four million, four point five percent, and then it goes up incrementally from there based on a purchase price, and that's going to take effect in January. And just where it's interesting is is uh, Toronto is the only municipality in North America that already has double, double. Land transfer tax, and it really, in without going into it too much, having a very heavy land transfer tax basically makes it difficult or more expensive for people to move up or laterally okay. in this market. And we have a city where they're not building any more houses. They're building condos, but they're not building any more houses. And so when the costs are hundreds of thousands of dollars to move from $2 million to a $3.5 million house, people stay where they are and they renovate. And so we're locking people into their houses by increasing taxes without having some type of a counter offset uh, with supply, which just isn't even coming close to happening. And just to be clear for our viewers about the land transfer tax, uh, land transfer taxes cannot be rolled into your mortgage. They are due on closing in cash. So it's a big chunk of change that you basically feel like you just toss away when you acquire a property in Toronto. And you feel that heavily when you acquire a property. And obviously, the more expensive the property, the higher the taxes. And we get slammed twice with that in Toronto. So I think that's really interesting as well, and we'll definitely keep abreast of that and watch how that may or may not affect that price point um, from $3 million up. But the point being is, is that when you have taxes at a higher price point, it then encourages people to buy at a lower price point, which is already suffocated, which, and it already brings up the price point of the lower 
price point properties. And it looks like it looks like we've lost Ian due to a uh, technical oh, issue. Oh, did I not mention oh, yeah. that? Yeah, no. So Ian is no longer here uh, in spirit, obviously. Always. But uh, for the rest of the call, I think it will just be me and you bringing this home. Wrapping yes. This up. Let's just wrap this baby up. Okay, well, I think the last thing we want to talk about is that we're seeing pretty healthy inventory levels for the first week back in the fall market, and uh, things are looking rather robust, as we expected. Um, So I think that buyers are going to have more options out there. They're going to be able to consider properties for longer, and they're going to buy properties that they actually might like. So balanced market if that's what we're moving into and it sounds like we are i'm going to talk about the numbers here briefly for our audience today it's actually a good thing actually is a really good thing so just to have some comparisons here i'm going to post this um, so that it's easy for you to see it um, but i wanted to talk about how much inventory came online the first week into fall this year compared to last year So uh, this year, the first week back in the freehold market, so freehold means houses, low-rise houses, there were 634 new contracted home listings that came to market in the GTA. Last year, in the first week back, there were 424 new housing listings. So we actually have about 39% more inventory this year than we did last year at this time. I just think that's interesting. So, um, homes sold last year, the first week back on the market for about $1.43 million or 100% of the asking price. But this week, our first week back, there were 82 home sales, so less properties sold, but they sold on average for $1.67 million. So they sold for a higher price than last year at this time. And they sold for 102% of the asking price on average. So a little bit higher than the list price, which I think is just interesting within itself. And we're seeing, we're going to see starting a shift in strategies. Um, But I also think what we're seeing is that the good properties that are quality, that are marketed well and have something special about them, whether it's location or character or opportunity or value add or opportunity to put laneway housing in, price properly, good agents, quality inventory is going to sell. So that's interesting about the low rise market and then condos as we expected. So first week back in uh, fall, August, fall, 927 new condo listings. Okay. Last year at this time, there were only 663 new condo listings. So that's 33.2% more condo listings the first week back this year, okay? So there's definitely more condo supply, just as we forecasted in some of our former podcasts. And last year, um, there were 227 condo sales the first week back, selling on average for 872,000 and getting about 98% of the asking price. And last week, first week back, 131 condo sales. Whoa. With the average price being less, about 786000 and getting at about 100% of the asking price. So we're seeing them selling for, on average, a lesser price point, and we're seeing less activity and more supply, which is totally what we expected. So condo sellers, please be very uh, intelligent and strategic about how you're going to market, what you're pricing your properties at, being very reasonable about expectations and time on market and 
how you market your property. What does it look like? Your photography, your video, your brand positioning, all of that's going to really matter. Um, And then buyers, there might be opportunity for you out there. If you want to get into the market, I'd really look at condos. If you're like, I'll never buy a Toronto property, it's impossible. I think this is an excellent time to slide into the market, especially in the condo segment. And then just to be really clear in terms of our absorption rate, which we've talked about in former podcasts before. So our our absorption rate is how long would it take for Toronto to sell out of all of its inventory if we didn't list one new freehold or condo property on the market? How long would it take for everything to sell out if we didn't list one more new property on the MLS? So right now we are at a supply level of 2.92 months of supply. That's how long it would take us to sell through everything. And last year at this time, because we're comparing the first week back uh, last year compared to this year, we're at about 2.23 months of supply. So we have a bit more supply than we did last year. And technically this means at this rate of supply, we are in a balanced market. So Ralph, why is a balanced market a good thing? Yeah, it's one of the things, you know, that drives me crazy is the idea that real estate agents or, um, you know, mortgage brokers or whatever, everybody just wants to see a crazy market up, 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 up. That's not healthy and it's not good for anyone's sanity and it really isn't good for consumers and it's very cute, confusing for buyers. Um, I think a kinder, slower, gentler market Uh, is very healthy and it's healthy for markets to let off steam. And it's completely expected given that we've seen, you know, close to 500 basis point increases in uh, interest rates in a very, very short period of time. And what's going to happen is, is as people's mortgages start to roll over and they have to refinance and they're going to see their costs going up 3x plus, you're going to start to see a lot of people pull back on spending and you're going to see a lot of people considering going to market. And so I think we are going into, for the first time in a very long time, a balanced market. And it's more important than ever if you're looking at doing something to be working with uh, an agent or a team that really knows what they're doing because having experience uh, and having the ability to move with confidence in these type of scenarios that we're entering right now is more important than ever. I totally agree. Okay, so let's just quickly recap. For our first week back, fall 2023, so we had the contraction of the DDP and the Bank of Canada holding rates. We've started seeing some bidding war activity and a little bit of frenziness with buyers right now because I think now that- With specific properties. Oh, with, I was just going to get there, Ralph, 100%. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. And, and I think that's just saying that they're like, okay, we now know that the rate is held. We understand what's happening. We're not as freaked out right now. I think it's okay for us to move forward. We mentioned seller letters. Is this a new trend? I think that's really interesting. Um, We talked uh, with Ralph about the Liberal government taking a bit of a hit right now about housing affordability and immigration. We're going to see some debate. And then lastly, we just briefly touched on the inventory numbers for both condos and low-rise being rather robust and that we probably, and we are, in a balanced market, which is an excellent thing. So I think that wraps up our insights from week one of Toronto's fall real estate market. We hope our five key takeaways offered valuable insights. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a thumbs up, turn on notifications for more updates. 
and drop your thoughts in the comment section below. We'd love to hear from you. Every interaction truly makes a difference. Thank you so, so much for joining. We'll see you next time. Ralph, what do you always like to say to conclude? Please, 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 please be sure to subscribe down below. Smash that subscribe button. And if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. And thumbs up is always a good way to show you dig our vibe.